Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Any Given You podcast. As always, I'm your host, Michael Megan. We have an awesome show for you today, but before we get into that, I'd like to remind everybody that if you're enjoying the content, please make sure to give us a rating and review. If you have done that already, then tell some of your friends about the podcast available on all major podcast platforms. Follow us on Instagram as well as our Any Given You Facebook page and group. I'm glad we're done with that. I am so sorry this episode didn't come out on Tuesday. We are dropping this one on a Wednesday. I am already messing up on what I said I wanted to do, but life is crazy as we all know. And it was, if you were to take what I just said and put it in the Petri dish of week one of college football, it would not, you know, that that would be a very true statement. Life is crazy. Week one is in the books and we're here to discuss it. The action was unique as it got cracking Thursday night and wasn't over until last, well, I guess Monday night, really. Um, and we have so much to cover, it's unreal. I don't know how we're going to get it all in 30 minutes or less, but we're going to give it the old bat boy try here. So we're talking about how our predictions for our outright, outright winners fared in this contest, excuse me, what we could take away from week one that we feel that is actually legitimate as opposed to just a fickle uh, sort of opinion, right? There's going to be a lot of stuff that's going to move like water right now as far as people's opinions of teams, uh, which teams looked the part, which teams did not. And if that wasn't enough, the latest in some key injury news as we lean forward towards our preview on tomorrow's episode, which will be a Thursday drop. Now, as far as our predictions went, we're sitting at 66% for official picks. So let's go by the numbers here. We started with Boise State versus UCF. I think the UCF fan base got the full-on Gus Malzahn experience here as it was crazy and, you know, sort of topsy-turvy. Looked like it was going to go one way and then another way. I mean, you got your big... You got your, you know, minute and 20 second offensive touchdown drives. You got frustrating defense. First off, let's let's start. I watched most of this game. First off, the game was delayed due to a lightning storm, lightning strikes that delayed the game by a couple of hours, right? But once kickoff was underway, I thought it was a very exciting game. It looked in the early running like UCF was going to bounce the Broncos right out of the bounce house. I mean, they went right down the field play after play, chunk play after chunk play, and you saw the potential of what this Gus Malzahn offense could be with Dylan Gabriel. But in the red zone, Dylan Gabriel threw an interception, which sparked Boise State to rip off a 24-point run, pretty much unanswered at that point. And at one point, this game was 24-7 to in favor of Boise State. I think what was most noticeable about this game to me, what stuck out, what I took away in terms of when I'm watching UCF was their inability to tackle in the open field. Okay. They were high. They looked like they took some bad angles. Uh, instead of body tackling, they were doing sort of that high necktie, you know, tackle crap where they're swiping. Uh, it's just not, it's not very, very clean. So a lot to work on there as far on the defensive side of the ball. Now, Big Cat Bryant looked good for his new team. Again, following Gus Malzahn over from Auburn, having a very productive night setting the edge. Boise State, to me, I mean, honestly, they had 14 points in this contest that I would attribute to UCF's poor tackling. So something to look forward to improve for them in the coming weeks. It'll definitely be something that I factor into UCF contests moving forward. UCF finally got it together in the middle of the third quarter and took the win 36-31. These two squads, in my opinion, were evenly matched for the most part. 
I look for both of these teams to have a good year in their respective conferences, but we did get this one right, so feather in our cap. Next, we'll talk about number four, Ohio State versus Minnesota. I am so proud of this one. <laughs> uh, we damn near called this verbatim. Ohio State is going to score flat out. Ohio State is going to get scored on flat out. Bottom line up front, they're going to score points. They're going to give up points. Our call was 56 to 31. Turned out to be 45 to 31 in the favor of the Buckeyes. But the, the basic concept was still there. Ohio State looked exactly like what I thought they would. A team that is so clearly more talented than their opponent, but a little out of sync and letting the less talented team hang around in this contest. That's what we saw here. At times, the, the, the Buckeyes defense looked very good. They looked very fast. They looked very clean. And at other points, they got out hustled. They got out hit. And they had trouble communicating, getting lined up in the proper positions, proper alignments. They weren't hitting their keys. They weren't getting to their spots and weren't hitting their reads. So the second and third levels of the defense, I think, must sure themselves up as far as getting all that figured out, where they're lining up, where they're moving to, angles of pursuit uh, by the time they face better talent. I will say this, Muhammad Ibrahim at running back for the Golden Gophers, he he was a beast, absolute beast. And we previewed him coming into this contest. And it's an absolute shame for him and the Gophers that he's out for the remainder of the year. Uh, unfortunately, that, that's very sad to see a player like that go. So with him being your first test on your young rush defense, I'm not surprised that we saw the Buckeyes get gashed a bit. But the secondary also left something to be desired. And I can think of someone like da- Jahan Dotson from Penn State giving them fits in a couple of weeks. Now on offense, C.J. Stroud popped his cherry. Good one. Good job. I can't believe I just said that. Um, Go back and look at the tape, okay? And I think what you'll find is he did a poor job of processing the game in real time, okay? Ohio State could have put up 60 points with Justin Fields back there on that defense, okay? There were wide receivers that were open. He just did not see them. Go back and look at the tape. And also on the throws that he did make, which it looked to me like he was sort of, you know, uncomfortable first start, right? Double clutch and holding on to the ball maybe a little bit too long. When he finally did let it go to Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, those guys had three or four steps on their defenders. And it just makes you wonder how wide open, how many shots were wide open that he did not take because he didn't process it. He didn't see it. Now, bottom line up front, here we go. Ohio State played a B-minus game and Minnesota played their A game and it still didn't matter. They were far and away the most talented team on the field that day. I think they're still far and away the most talented team in the conference. This team is flat out going to score points. Next, we'll talk about number 10 UNC taking on Virginia Tech. Okay, so in this one, I called that dogfight. I called the dogfight. Okay, and you can ask people. I was talking about it all day leading up to this kickoff. The problem is we got the winner wrong. Okay, man. I just I'm going to tell you this right now. Virginia Tech beat their asses. They just beat their asses. I mean, they just manhandled an O-line that I considered to be pretty good. So let's talk it for a second. I think what was most impressive about this game was how unimpressive UNC was. And most of all, how unimpressive Sam Howell was. There were points in that game where I'm watching it and he just doesn't look like he has any fight in him, right? Uh, the, the whole game, they kept talking about how Sam Howell is so even keel and nothing phases him. I think they read the body language wrong. I think he was phased 
all of UNC, right up to Mac Brown was faced. I don't think that they believed the amount of physicality and effort that they were met with. It was the realization your offense isn't physical enough to execute your game plan. And honestly, I am kicking myself here a little bit because I was so high on UNC ignoring the same factors that I applied to other teams that I wasn't high on. And that is this, they lost a ton from last year. So how was I so blind? Michael Carter, Javante Williams, Daz Newsome, Chaz Surratt, all these guys, Deami Brown, all these guys were gone. But I sat there and I drank the Kool-Aid. I allowed big sports publications to get in my mind, twist my head around. And I think I previewed these guys as a 10-win team. I'm changing. I, I am changing my perception on that. I still think that they are a good team. I still think they have the ability to beat anybody in the ACC almost. Okay. I don't know about a 10-win team at this point. I'm thinking a little closer to what I wanted to originally go with, that 8-9 mark. Um, I still think that they'll have a good year, but there are some glaring, glaring inequities on this squad after that contest with Virginia Tech. So we missed this one. The next game we talk about, we also missed. We had number 19, Penn State, taking a trip to Camp Randall Stadium to take on the 12th-ranked Wisconsin Badgers. We missed the mark in this one. I put way too much faith that Wisconsin had potentially added some new wrinkles to their offensive scheme. I also had too little faith in Penn State's linebacker core and in Sean Clifford versus the Wisconsin defense. Now, did he wow me with any of his play in any shape or form? No. But Clifford didn't have his usual scheduled implosion either. Graham Ertz, on the other hand, has Badger fans wondering, it has me wondering whether or not their best QB option resides in South Bend playing for the Irish these days. Uh, just, I mean, man, dude, like Wisconsin. It is, Wisconsin is unfortunately going to be the team that squanders great defense after great defense with this arcane offense that they run. I don't think their season is going to become completely off the hinges. Um, but I do believe that as long as they're married to this, we're tough, we pound rock, that's what we do. We run ball, Wisconsin Badgers football system, right? The best that they can hope for is getting annihilated in the Big Ten championship game by either Ohio State, Penn State, or possibly Michigan. So we missed that one. So we're two and two at this point, needed a win, and we got one with number one Alabama versus number 14 Miami. What do you want me to say here? <laughs> Alabama did it again, man. Uh, They went above and beyond my wildest expectations again, right? We knew the win was all but assured. We knew that, right? But I figured that it would be like a 35 to 17 or maybe a 38 to 17, something like that. I thought you'd see a slightly amended offense from last year. Nope. Bryce Young went out there, spun it to his five-star targets, and it's a wrap. The offensive line held up just fine. What I saw in the spring game that concerned me was Alabama's offensive line and their ability to protect Bryce Young. I did say back then that I had to take it with a grain of salt because it was Alabama versus Alabama. I didn't realize that that grain of salt was about the size of my fist because Miami could seemingly do nothing, right? Their defense was woefully underprepared to deal with Alabama's offensive scheme. They went out there and they really ran the same 
thing, the same kind of concept as they did last year. I thought they would pound the rock a little bit more. I just, you know, I don't know what else to say from the macro perspective other than Alabama, in my opinion, was the only team in week one that looked the part. They're the only team that looked like their number one ranking. Now, I don't have Alabama going undefeated this year. I believe that they will get clipped at some point by someone at some time. However, if you were to ask me if there was any team in the country that could beat Alabama in week one right now, no. That's the answer. No. There isn't a single team in the country that's going to beat Alabama in week one. Okay? You want to go by the numbers? Let's go by the numbers. Ohio State loses these guys by 20 points. Okay? Georgia loses these guys by 20 points. I think that those two contests look different, right? I think the 20-point loss is like 35 to 55 if you're talking about Ohio State versus Alabama because I think Ohio State gets their points but, again, has a complete inability to stop Alabama from doing what they can do. And I think it's 27 to 7 if you're talking about Georgia. Yeah, maybe they limit Alabama to under 30 points, but if the if the dog's offense shows up that we saw in Clemson, if that one shows up against Alabama – They'll be happy. They'll be lucky to hit pay, tar- pay dirt one time. They'll be they'll be lucky to get one scoring drive, honestly. Um, so they look the part. They really do. And uh, and and Alabama is they're not guys. They're not going anywhere, right? They're not going anywhere. I do think that there's still a slight step back from last year's team, last year's 2020 team. Miami has pulled this shit before. Okay, they they get your expectations up. They rile you up. They talk about these athletes and the speed they have and landing some key transfers, which, by the way, the only transfers that stuck out to me in that contest were the guys that transferred from the SEC schools. That would be uh, DeAndre Johnson, the edge rusher from Tennessee, who got a sack in that game, and Miami's now defensive back Tariq Stevenson, who spent the last two years in Georgia. Those were the only two guys that actually looked the part on the field that looked like they were fast physical enough to make plays against that Alabama offense. So it just, it, 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 you, you're, you're scratching your head for not only the hurricanes, but the ACC conference as a whole coming out of this one. And so, uh, yeah, Miami go, or excuse me, Alabama goes in there, takes care of business 44, 13. That was the final in this ass whooping. Uh, Miami once again, looks like they did when they lined it up against Clemson last year. So I don't want to hear any kind of Miami talk about even being, remotely close to back into championship contention. We just mentioned them a minute ago and why they would lose by 20 points to Alabama right now. And that would be number five UGA going on to take on Clemson, ranked number three in their backyard. And there is so much to talk about in this game and what this game means. So let, let's let's get into it here. What does this mean for UGA's future? And what does this mean for Clemson's future? You're trying to make sense of this contest, right? I've heard so many mixed reviews and emotions and thoughts about what this game is and and who looks good and who doesn't. I even heard some suggest that this game wasn't a quality win for Georgia. I'm going to say this. Everyone is entitled to their opinion, but so am I. And if you're in the boat where you might think that that's the case, you might not want to listen to this show. 
okay? Because I think that's the dumbest take I've ever heard. Of course, this was a quality win. It's a great resume win. In many ways, for Kirby Smart personally, it's a signature win. You got a top five win against a top five opponent, neutral site action, national television with essentially nothing but defense and special teams. And what and and what limited run game you could cobble together. I mean, this is a Kirby Smart wet dream. He won 10 to 3, you know, off a pick six and a field goal. Look, it's not that he doesn't want to score more points. I'm sure if you asked Kirby Smart if he wanted to win 50 to nothing, he would have taken that. But my point is, is everything that he does well as a coach expressed itself in this victory. Okay, played in Charlotte in Clemson's backyard. They play there every year for the ACC championship game. So it's essentially a home game for Clemson, Clemson right? Let's talk about this, U, this UGA defense for a minute. This, in my opinion, this might be the best Kirby has had yet. Okay. Combination of elite talent and veteran leadership and depth that hasn't been seen yet. This, to me, is the combination of the leadership and X factor that the 2017 defense brought with the talent and depth of the 2018 defense put together. Georgia's defense is whatever it wants to be. They have different packages that they can roll out there when they decide they want to do something, tweak something. They have guys that take 10 snaps in one game and 40 snaps the next game, depending on what the game plan is. It's just, it's nuts. It's an embarrassment of riches as far as what they have. And if you turn on the tape and you look at the speed that this defense has, it looked like the dogs were shot out of a cannon every time they went to make a play and the other guys were in slow-mo, okay? Let's look at it. Seven sacks. A pick six held Clemson to 180 total yards of offense and three points and snapped a 128 game or something like that streak of, you know, shutting our Clemson scoring points in the first half of a game, right? Absolutely insane. I don't care. I don't care what, you know, your, your perceptions of Clemson's offense are or, or whatever the case may be, right? I knew that they were a little soft and they had question marks in the trenches, particularly on the offensive line side of the ball, right? But Georgia's defense did what a great defense would do to a mediocre offense. That's what they did. So if they are a mediocre offense, that's fine. They did what a great defense would do to a mediocre offense. This is still a great defense. Now, special teams play was a mixed bag for Georgia. Jake Camarda was awesome in this one, punting the ball. Really, honestly, kept the dogs alive in a lot of uh, situations. Jack Pod missed a gimme field goal, which is not very happy about, but did end up hitting you know the second attempt on the day to extend that lead to a touchdown. I always get nervous in games where UGA misses kicks. It reminds me of when they lost to Alabama. I mean, you know, when they lost to Alabama, right? <laughs> when they usually lose to Alabama, right? Um, missed kick, missed, mixed, missed field goal in the uh, national championship game, the SEC championship game, and then that upset South Carolina. So I always get nervous when we miss a field goal. But, you know, luckily he, he, did, he did hit that second one. Plus, there was a, a – Crucial poison call. Poison is where a punt is uh, laid up short. And if it obviously, if it touches one of the players on the receiving team, it's a live ball at that point. So wound up giving Clemson an extra possession because somebody just didn't have the wherewithal to get out of the way of a punt. So again, sort of bad special teams play there. So I'm going to say mixed bag for that. 
And then offensively, the dogs definitely have a lot of shoring up to do, right? Obviously, they were out a lot of key performers. Um, but again, if you're looking at rotating that second and third string depth in there, and that's what you got, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to work on that. We're gonna have to shore that up as the season moves forward. If UGA has any intentions of being a championship team. They may be ranked number two right now, but I'm telling you that difference between number one and number two is about 20 points. It's not close right now. So Georgia is going to have to continue to develop towards a championship team. I think they have elite unit, obviously the defense special teams, but they're going to have to put the whole thing together. Clemson's young defensive front impressed me. Uh, It did. Linebacker play was solid as well. Their secondary is still a question mark to me, though. Not because of how they performed. It was who it was against. Again, UGA's C squad for wide receivers were out there, um, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, But I did stress time and time again that this game would be won and lost in the trenches, and so it was. 10-3, Georgia takes it. Let's go around the horn real quick and talk about some brief thoughts from some of the other games. We had number two, Oklahoma versus Tulane. This one ended up being a lot closer than a lot of experts predicted. Spencer Rattler did not look great on the day, turning the ball over again. Now, he also did not look great in the early going of the season last year and down the stretch, then turned it on and decided to play hard. A lot of people are giving a lot of grief to this OU defense. Let me ask you this question. If you have to defend three extra possessions on a short field, how does your defense look? I think people should be grateful that they didn't give up the lead, right? So all things considered, Tulane had three drives that were less than 50 yards, right? I mean, you're you're giving half the field to these guys when you turn the ball over like that. I think OU's defense actually did decent given the shit sandwich that they were handed. So we'll see what happens there, right? Number 16, LSU versus UCLA. Good grief. Okay, so here's here's the deal. I made a meme on this one. It's the guy who's sweating and he has two buttons, right? And it's admit LSU's trash or admit the Pac-12 has a good team. I think the answer, as always, resides somewhere in the middle, right? But I am willing to say that when I turn on the tape, UCLA is a legitimate good football team. I'm not going to say they're a great football team. I'm not going to say they're a championship level football team. And I'm also going to say that when you turn on the tape, there are things LSU is not doing well right now. Can we talk about the transfer portal really quick and how it has transformed the DNA of rosters? Zach Charbonnet is a big 10 running back that runs like a big 10 running back. He doesn't pussyfoot around in the hole, right? And so when you couple that with Chip Kelly's run concepts, counters, with motion, with the pulling linemen and everything else, they outgapped LSU and he hit the hole like a Viking. He went downhill and put it in their face. And that is the new DNA of that UCLA roster. They look more physical than UCLA squads of the past. And it gave LSU serious problems. Now for LSU, here's the bright spot. Kayshawn Butte is an absolute stud. Okay, and he's the next great there at LSU. He's going to be a problem and a guy who can take over games, but they're going to have to figure out some stuff coming back from Los Angeles with this loss. Moving on, we had number 10 Notre Dame versus Florida State. I'm going to say this about Florida State. 
Mike Norvell is doing some good things down there. That is the cleanest and with the most effort and the most competent that I have seen a Florida State squad in the last several years, and they gave Notre Dame all they could handle. Jack Cohn at quarterback for Notre Dame had a career day, and I don't think that I've ever seen somebody have a career day that looks so shitty at the same time. A lot of his ball placement was off. Um, Just go back, watch the tape, okay? He is not putting that thing on the money and putting his receivers in positions to continue to make plays and get yards after the reception or anything like that. He was damn downright lucky with some of the throws that they weren't intercepted or tipped up or anything like that. But very, very um, impressed with what I saw out of Florida State as far as gumption, fight, and all that other stuff. I don't know how good or bad Notre Dame is right now. I'm going to go ahead and reserve judgment at this point. They did get out of there with the win in a tough home crowd environment in a very enthusiastic Florida State, more enthusiastic than we've seen in the last several years. Again, let's talk transfer portal. Jermaine Johnson had a couple of sacks on the night, harassed Notre Dame constantly all night long. The Georgia transfer again, okay? Again, transfer portal, changing the DNA of rosters. Big Cat Bryant at UCF was making plays. Jermaine Johnson made plays. Jack, Zach Charbonnet, we talked about him. Tyreek Stevenson with Miami, another Georgia kid. These are guys that made plays on other rosters, and it's due to the transfer portal and how it can so quickly change the trajectory of your team. Some additional thoughts. NC State is a legit problem in the ACC, judging by what I've seen on tape because of what they've shown as far as physicality right now and improved quarterback play from Devin Leary. Look out for them to beat Mississippi State coming up. In fact, I may make that an official play here in the preview episode coming up later this week. Old Miss looks good. Huge, huge grain of salt. Listen to me. Here it is. Louisville is bad. Okay. Louisville is bad. They look good against a shitty team. Okay. I'm sorry. Turn on the tape. Louisville's not a good team. They don't block, they don't tackle, they don't do anything really well. Cincinnati might be as good this year for Cincinnati, as good a chance as any to make the college football playoff. Let me tell you why. Uh, We may have our first group of five representative this year. Their two power five matchups they have this year are Indiana and Notre Dame, both of which look very beatable after week one. I mean, Indiana got trounced by Iowa. Um, and Notre Dame, dogfight against Florida State, right? I think if they win out their conference, which I expect they would, and win those two Power 5 matchups, how can you deny this team a shot at the playoff, especially with how shitty the ACC looks right now? The Pac-12 is not so hot, and the Big 12 is a potential mess as well. So if you have multiple lost teams, you got one lost teams, a handful of two lost teams, and your conferences look like shit, and you've got a Cincinnati squad that's completely undefeated at that point and steamrolling everybody? Mm, could be. Could be. Our upset prediction hit. Yes, it did. I told you. I told you. Week one preview. Here was the upset prediction. UTSA going to Illinois to pull the upset, and they did so 37-30. to 30. My little Roadrunners went there and got it done. I told you I like this little team out of Conference USA. They are this year's Coastal Carolina to me. Watch them start to take off. I'm thinking it's not out of the realm of possibility for these guys to get double-digit wins this year. FCS had a great week, okay? Had a great week. Had some big upsets. Holy Cross taking out UConn. They suck, right? 
Vandy, they suck too, but they get whooped by East Tennessee State. Washington, number 20, goes down to Montana, right? And then number seven, Iowa State, an absolute dogfight with you and I. What's this all about? I think this is all about parity in the sport. Uh, In a lot of ways, starting to close the gap a little bit. Strength and conditioning, tips, tricks, all that stuff. Coaching clinics, all this stuff. The gap is closing a little bit. And when you also take a look at the number of Division I bounce backs that you have that flood the FCS rosters, right? I mean, there's a lot of places to play ball these days, and I think kids are figuring that out. So this is something that you might see sustain as FCS is not going to be a foregone conclusion as a win anymore for for some programs, right? Michigan, tough thoughts, losing Ronnie Bell. Again, we talked about Minnesota. They lost Ibrahim for the season. Thibodeau's questionable heading into the matchup with Ohio State. That is the Oregon Ducks' outstanding defensive end. And then UGA has lost Tate Ratledge at guard for the rest of the year. So there's your injury updates. Final thoughts on week one, don't panic. There's a lot of teams that wish they were 1-0 right now, and regardless of what you think your team looks like, a win is a win, okay? And just let this stuff kind of sink in a little bit, okay? There's a reason that the football power index is adjusted after week four, so don't be fickle. Don't lose your minds. Don't get too high. Don't get too low. It's week one. It's in the books, but college football is back, baby. Hey, if you enjoyed what you heard today, Please do us a favor, like, subscribe to the podcast, give us a five-star rating, or tell a few friends about the podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Also, if you'd like to get you some Any Given You swag, please visit our online store at squadlocker.com. We've been able to raise over $800 for charity due to the proceeds from those purchases. So thank you, everyone who supports it. And remember, any given time, any given place, any given topic, you get it here at Any Given You.